Good morning, good morning, good morning, family. It's your boy Dom, and we're here for another episode of Red Cup Philosophy, the podcast. So check it. I got with me today an actor, producer, showrunner, CEO, entrepreneur, and Emmy Award winning overall creative. I'm talking about none other than James Bland. What's good, man? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on, man. I'm so happy to get you on. Um, I've seen your work. I love your work. And I'm definitely interested and, and excited about hearing a little bit about your journey and your Red Cup philosophy experiences and, and all things that's James Bland. Nice. <laughs> I look forward to sharing. <laughs> most deaf, most deaf. So you got your cup? Uh, yeah, got my cup. You got your cup? Okay. That's so <laughs> I <what>? read, but <laughs> Listen, it'll, it'll no, work, right? No judgment whatsoever. What's in your cup is what's in your cup and what's in mine. For sure, for mine. sure. Good stuff, good stuff. So let's go. Let's pull up. Mm-hmm. All right. So when I think of James Bland, one thing that comes to my mind is one word, giant. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because you're 6'6". Six, six. Like. Okay. You you are literally six feet, six inches tall. And I want to clear six feet. It's on my Christmas list every year. <laughs> what are Just, you, five? You five what? Uh, you know, I tell people I'm about 5'10", five, 5'11", five, but I'm really like 5'9". Ooh, okay. Ooh, you you you, you height fishing. You, I, I do what I can. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do what I can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. The good thing about it is, um, for you, that's not your story. Like, not only are you, quote unquote, a giant in um, in real life with your height, but you also created a, 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 a digital series called Giants, right? And watching that digital series, I remember when I saw it on, um, on YouTube, I believe it was on Issa Rae's channel when it first came out. That's when I first saw it and I was like, yo, this is dope. Like season one, this is dope. I really want to pay attention. I really want to tune in to see what's going on. And um, it really captivated me how the stories and things that you told in that um, in that series. So how did you come across being so authentic in telling those stories? You know, it took time, bro. Um, I, I will definitely say that's something I had to learn as an artist. Uh, Giants, Giants was like my fifth digital series. Yeah, that's something really? that, yeah, a lot of people don't know. Um, I started out, I, my, my very first web series was a show called Fail. And it actually starred King Batch before Vine or Instagram existed. Uh, but it also starred a, a bunch of other really talented artists like Vanessa Baden Kelly, who's in Giants, and also Tristan Mays, who's in MacGyver, and her brother, uh, Jerry Mays, and um, another actress that I went to college with, uh, Whitney. And uh, Fail never took off. Um, and then I did a show called uh, Debt Collectors and another show called We Man Purgatory. And finally, I got to a show called First, which wasn't my show. I hadn't, uh, I wasn't the writer or creator. I was an actor, director, and producer on it. But throughout that process, I was kind of finding that the stories that really resonated the most with audiences were those stories that really came from an authentic place. Um, and I, I saw that with Issa, with Awkward Black Girl, but I didn't know it at the time. Like when I met Issa, 
she had just launched the misadventures of aqua black girl mm-hmm. i was launching a fail at the time they were very different shows still comedies but uh although fail we were pulling from some experiences because it, it was about college students mm-hmm. um it wasn't uh it wasn't james's story uh like like giants is you know my story and so mm-hmm. um I didn't know it at the time, but I think the thing that Issa figured out really early was authenticity um, is your superpower, you know, as yes. a creative. And it took me uh, more years to really discover that. But by the time I got to Giants, I had gotten to a place where I just really wanted to express myself. I wanted to, I had a lot to say. And I was to that place where I was thinking about if I was to leave this earth tomorrow, what did I leave behind? And and Giants was kind of that thing that uh, it really embodied a lot of what I wanted to just impart into the world, what Mm -hmm. I wanted to say about uh, my friends, about myself and the people around me. And I was really inspired by a quote from Zora Neale Hurston that says, if you are silent about your pain, Mm -hmm. it will kill you and say that you enjoyed it. Um, And so... um, so yeah, that's how I, I can't I can't necessarily say how I got to that place in terms of being authentic. It was an evolution, but I can tell you I didn't start there. Speaking about how you started, you grew up in Titusville, Florida. Right? right. Um it's I, I can't say that it's a small town because I grew up in Sylacauga, Alabama. And <laughs> it's about three times smaller than Titusville. So right. <laughs> <laughs> so, bro, so, so, so I get it. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not Orlando, it's not um Destin, it's not, you know, one of those bigger cities. However, you know, it's what you call home. It's where you're yeah. from, right? Yeah. From there, you went on to join the Fam Uli at Fam U mm-hmm. for for um for undergrad, right? So now that we're in LA, right, you you started to intern at Sony Screen Gems. You were there for what a little bit over two years, right? Interning. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah. In, from intern, uh, I was an intern for about three months. I uh, interned for Will Packer, and then I went on and became a production assistant. So I was a production assistant for about a year. Or so then I became an executive assistant to one of the uh, creative executives at the studio. Okay. So again, fam, you connect. I always stay in the fam. You leave. I get it. That's cute for y'all. Um, <laughs> so I get that. I, much respect. Much respect. I, I get that. So you're you're in this space. You're working. You're figuring it out, right? You're trying to figure out, you know, what's your next move? I guess you kind of, did you hit like a certain point where you're like, something now is, is, is time for another shift? Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, most definitely. So Although I was at the studio and I was working on these big budget films, mm-hmm. um, even though I was an assistant, just having the opportunity to be around it. Like I'm on the Sony lot. I'm working on Death at a Funeral and I'm seeing Tracy Morgan and Chris Rock and uh, worked on uh, Takers and I'm seeing Chris Brown, Idris Elba and T.I. And, uh, and so in a way, it was kind of like I was living the dream. Like this is... What I, I moved to LA to do, I wanted you know to make films. But what I realized very early on, 
um, is that um, I didn't want to be in development. And I was working for executives where that was their job. They did development. And I was a really good assistant because I had this background in business and they were trying to hold on to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I had to make a shift and I made the decision after about two and a half years to leave Sony Screen Gems to just kind of focus on being a creative. Um, and I knew that I wanted to be the person bringing the projects to the studio. Um, mm. And um, it wasn't enough for me to just be a part of the creative process. Like I wanted, I wanted to birth, I wanted to birth the baby, you know, um, mm. that yeah. I wanted to come out of me. And, uh, and I just, I wanted to be an artist and I wanted to make a living being an artist. And so with that, I realized very quickly that no one was going to give me that opportunity. And I realized that because while I was working on the film called Burlesque and I was the assistant to the executive who was over this film. So he had a lot of power, right? Mm-hmm. I was very honest and upfront with everybody that I was a filmmaker, I was an actor, I was an aspiring director, all of these things. So I, I, uh, I asked my boss one day if I could have a, a small role uh, in the film. Like We were casting this uh, band that was going to exist in this burlesque club and they would be heavily featured uh, in the film and, and maybe even have a few lines here and there. And I just mm-hmm. said, hey, I'd be one of the members of the band. And he had that power to, to make me that. But he said, well, if you're on set um, uh, in front of the camera, who's going to do your job in terms of all of the things that he needed uh, to be taken care of as this executive? Um, and he was, I mean, he was right. I I understood his position. Uh, but in addition, I remember someone telling me that you're an assistant, like nobody really sees you as an actor. No one really sees you as a director. You have to go out and make something and then show them. Right. It's like in the alchemist, it says that, um, when you possess great treasures inside of you, seldom will people believe you. And so I knew that if I was going to be an actor, if I was going to be a director, I couldn't get there by working at a studio. Um, I had to go out and, and direct some shit. <laughs> you know, I had to right. go out and act in something and then, you know, come back with this body of work and with this resume and this portfolio. And so I was like, all right, cool, bet, you know, say less. <laughs> and so I made the, I made the leap. Um, and it was literally that it was him saying, if you're on set in front of the camera, who's going to do your job? And I was like, oh, OK, you're right. Somebody else needs this to do my job because this is holding me back from doing what I want to do. Right. And I uh, realized and at one point I thought maybe I could do both simultaneously. You know, you kind of entertain that. Maybe I could hold on to this studio job and still be connected and, you know, still have this uh, uh, paycheck coming in every week. Um, but. There are times where, unfortunately, you just can't have you can't have the best of both worlds, and you just got to take the leap and really bet on yourself. And that's what I did. Wow, that's a wake up call. Like that's 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 a aha moment where you're just like, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I got you're right. I got to do what I got to do. That's kind of like that. Um, <laughs> it takes me back. I don't know why my mind went back to a different world. Mm-hmm. When um it was the wedding episode and um and Whitney was at the altar and okay. she had to make a decision like who was she gonna go with and right. you're absolutely right I don't love you bye and she just <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, 
Yeah. It was, it, that's like, you gotta make, you gotta right. make those tough decisions. Yeah. Right. It's like, you're right. I don't love you. Okay. Thank you. It's been real. But in taking the leap, you moved into a two bedroom apartment with five other people. Mm-hmm. Before it was five of us total. I was okay. five in the living room. So it was a, um, a two bedroom. There was a couple in one bedroom. There were line sisters in another bedroom. And then I was in the living room. When I made the decision to leave Screen Gems, I went to Africa <laughs> on a mission trip. Mm-hmm. And so my lease was ending on my apartment, gave it up because I wouldn't be able to afford it without um, a job, without consistent income. And so I had two homegirls that I had met that I knew we all uh, went to school in Tallahassee. So these okay. two girls, one went to FAMU, the other went to Florida State. And I was like, yo, can I keep some of my stuff at y'all place while I'm in Africa? And they were like, yeah. So when I got back from Africa and I needed a place to stay, I said, hey, can I just crash with y'all until I find a place to stay? And they said, yes. And then I never left. <laughs> um, <laughs> I never left. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they were cool with it because they were also uh, aspiring actresses at the time. Like one was in a conservatory. She was in school. The other, her name is KJ Smith. She uh, She's on Sisters now on BT. See? Uh, KJ had just moved to LA and she was like working as a waitress at the cork, I think. And I remember, I'll never forget one night somebody shot at the cork and we had to go pick her up. Uh, but KJ, she didn't have any credits. Um, she was just in LA chasing the dream. And so they were cool with me staying in the apartment, uh, because I offered to pay like 300 or something in rent and it lowered their rent. So they was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, uh, and then eventually KJ's boyfriend moved to LA and then, Michelle, uh, her line sister moved to LA and we were all like, the more the merrier because we ain't got no money. The more people who are living here, the more times this rent is going to be split and we don't have right. to dress ourselves. And that is honestly, bro, that's the conundrum with being an artist mm-hmm. is how do you have the time to pursue the dream, to go on the auditions, to take the acting classes, to do all of the things uh, and still pay your rent when the rent is uh, the cost of some people's mortgages, you know, in other, in other states. Um, and so that was the conundrum. And so the way we tackled that problem was we uh, lived five deep in a two bedroom <laughs> so we could pay as little rent as possible. Listen, that is probably the epitome <laughs> of two things. Number one, faith. Number two, sacrifice. And I'll even add a third one, putting faith within your sacrifice. Yeah, for sure. Right? You because know, I love that, bro, because I always say you got to sacrifice something. Or mm-hmm. I often ask, and I'll ask myself this, what are you going to sacrifice? Because it's going to require mm-hmm. a sacrifice. You know, you got to put something on the altar. Got to put some. See, that sounds like something that you got back from in Titusville. Titusville, yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You already know. You got you got to give up something like what is it? It's got to be worth something. So what is it worth you sacrifice? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. so I don't know if you know this or not. Well, first off, I wrote a book. Called Red Cup Philosophies. But um, in this book, I actually mentioned you. Okay. Because um, I was looking at your Instagram stories. I don't know if it was maybe maybe a year, maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. And 
I think you were recapping a conversation that you had with a friend. And that conversation used the analogy of a plane circling, right? Um, being held in the air before it landed. So I want to read you this, and then I'm and, and then we're gonna we're gonna dive into it just a little bit. Okay. So um, in in a chapter that I write, um, it's called the waiting room. Mm. Um, I write this: producer, writer, and actor James Bland once described the waiting room as a plane attempting to land. I like that analogy, so I did a little more research and took it a bit further. As an aircraft approaches an airport. The pilot speaks to a controller who sits high in the towers and controls what happens below on the ground. If the controller tells the pilot, no, you cannot land just yet, then the pilot has to keep circling in the air until permission is given to start the descent. The controller who sees the bigger picture can keep, the pl- can keep that plane circling for such reasons as runway traffic, unsafe weather conditions, or a lack of open gates. Mm-hmm. So the holding pattern is really protection for the pilot and everyone on board. Can I make it plain for you? God is the controller. You are the pilot. The passengers on the plane are all of the people assigned to your life. The holding pattern is the waiting room, and it is designed to keep you from experiencing a fatal accident. What may appear to be stalling in your life could be protection from something that could take you out. Mm, that's good. That's really so, good, man. Listen, you inspired that, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome, <laughs> bro. I like that. <laughs> so, it. what type of waiting rooms and holding patterns have you had in your life? Oh, Jesus. Call them. If hey, you take, bro, take a sip, <laughs> bro, we about to pull out now. Oftentimes, I mean, this whole industry is a weight. There's a saying in, um, uh, in like set life that is uh, hurry up and wait. <laughs> that is the culture of filmmaking. It's like hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. You know, get to set. We need you. We need you. Then you get there and then you're standing around waiting because they're still setting up uh, the shot or whatnot. Uh, but that is essentially this industry is hurry up and wait. And um, so I've experienced it from day one, you know, of dropping down. There have been times where I felt like I should be further or at least I wanted to be further. Um, there have been times where I've compared myself to my peers where I'm like, yo, wait, we started at the same time or I was doing I felt like I was doing a little bit more, you know, than this person. And for whatever reason, it was just their time and their season. And I think that was the thing that I really had to accept is that, um, you know, Habakkuk 2 and 3 tells us that the the vision awaits an appointed time, though it lingers, you know, you got to wait on it. Uh, And uh, one of my favorite poems is If by Rui Kipling. Uh, I think it's Alphas. (laughs) Know a little something about that. Where's that? Listen, shouts uh, out to the bros, because that's one of my favorite poems as well. There's a line in that poem that says, can you wait and not grow tired of waiting? Mm. And that has really been a question that I've I've posed to myself. And the thing that I've decided that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to wait on it. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, I just recently released this project called More Than the Art with, uh, with Will Catlett. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, like a sit down conversation between Will and myself, you know, Will's an actor who's on Black Lightning. He's also on Love Is. 
And he said that he had a conversation with Mar Brock Akil, and Mar Brock Akil told Will that people don't stick around long enough to meet their opportunity. Mm. And, um, so I've been waiting on uh, quite a few things, you know, throughout my 12 years of being here in LA, but I feel closer and closer and closer every day. And then oftentimes I have to remind myself the things that I was waiting on, I wouldn't created it for myself. And so, uh, you know, Giants was the answer to um, answer. Giants really checked uh, most of my goals you know, in terms of being being in the and being in position to not only create and write, but, you know, act and direct, you know, on a project. Like, that's all I ever wanted to do and to put it out into the world. And, you know, I did that with Giants. Granted, I want to do it on bigger levels with bigger budgets. Um, and I want to continue to do that. And oh, yeah, uh, of course, but um, but I'm doing it. And I often have to remind myself that I'm doing it, you know, that I'm in it. You know what? That just again. The fact that people do not wait. Long enough for the opportunities, you know what I mean? They're not willing to sacrifice the time to wait. And while you're waiting, you have to. Actively wait. You have to prepare yourself for that opportunity, because if the opportunity comes and you're not ready, then success is not going to happen. I often say that success happens when um, preparation meets opportunity. Right. If you're not preparing yourself while you wait, then when the opportunity comes and when it actually presents itself, Mm -hmm. it's going to bypass you. Right. Because you're not ready for it. You know, And, and I think, again, that just speaks to having faith. Having faith in your journey, having faith in your time, having faith in um, in the path that you're supposed to go into and, and your own gifts and your own talents and your own timing of your life. And then being willing to sacrifice and put that faith behind the sacrifice. You know what I mean? And and just and just doing that. So I, I totally agree with you on that. One. Like if is a powerful poem, number one. <laughs> that's just it is it's just something about it and 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 to kind of relate it to um and for it to translate into the way in which you you, you stated it um it's so real it makes it practical mm-hmm. dope 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 okay so i want you to give the listeners one last shot of wisdom okay so an event I didn't quite understand at the time was uh, Giants didn't get into Sundance, right? I mm-hmm. spent two years working on this show. It took me a year to write and produce it. I was funding it out of pocket. And then um, I spent a year in post-production editing the show, uh, mostly by myself, right, in a bubble. And for me, as a filmmaker who had been to Sundance multiple times and had seen uh, how Sundance could uh, really uplift and kind of be a launching pad for you know any filmmakers. That was my dream. That was what I really wanted. And I, I thought if Giants could just get into Sundance, then this will be the the spotlight that I need to kind of get me found in the crowd of aspiring you know artists who are, are just trying to you know who are trying to work. Um, and I prayed about it. I talked to a prophet about it. <laughs> mm. I wrote about it. You know, 
I did vlogs about it. I, I reached out to uh, other filmmakers who had been in Sundance and asked if they could connect me with folks. I sent an email to Michelle Satter, who's the executive director of the Sundance Institute. I did every single <laughs> thing that I knew to do. I didn't leave any stone unturned. Uh, I did everything that I knew to do. And it wasn't enough. We did not get into Sundance, right? And I was mm. crushed. I was devastated. Uh, I gave myself a day to be hurt, to um, to cry, because I, I did cry about it. Because that was the strategy. That was the dream. That was the goal. And I didn't get it. Uh, but I didn't allow that to, to stop me. Um, and the next day, I really got about the business of figuring out how to put my show out without the the validation of a Sundance, of a big right. film festival. And I reached out to Issa Rae and I said, hey, I have this show. It's already shot. A full season is in the can. It's shot. It's edited. It's ready to go. Can I put it up on your YouTube channel? Sent her the first episode. I sent her a link, I think, to the entire season. And she might have watched the first episode. And she was like, sure, you know, let's do it. And then I just started to strategize around how to independently promote and market, you know, this show. Um, and we went to work and I could say I released Giants in 2017, 17, 18, 19, 20. So about three years later, uh, 13 Emmy nominations later, uh, Emmy wins, a streaming award, um, several uh, International Academy of Web and Television Awards, um, multiple indie series awards, uh, a license deal with a cable network, and currently working a second license deal with a streamer. I can say that uh, I didn't need Sundance. And I think sometimes we think we need a thing, um, and that might not be the plan. Uh, there's a saying that goes, God can dream a bigger dream for you than you can dare to dream for yourself. And at the time, the biggest dream that I had to dream for this show was Sundance. I did not see Emmys. I did not see cable distribution. Um, I did not see half of the things that this show has achieved. However, I didn't stop. And that's the lesson is uh, don't stop, keep going, because there's a um, there's a control tower. <laughs> and uh, though you may be in that holding pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, just continue to circle because you don't know what's on the ground waiting for you when you land. Wow. You know what? I'll drink to that. I'll <laughs> take that shot. Cheers. I don't even have my cup. Cheers. Cheers. Y'all, that right there was James Bland. Give it up one more time for James Bland. <laughs> 